Chapter Three of Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study by Charles Edward Jefferson. Chapter Three, The Man of Macedonia. A student on emerging from the seminary sometimes experiences a chilling surprise. The world does not seem glad that another laborer is now ready to enter the vineyard. It bustles unconcernedly along its hurried way, without the slightest manifestation of interest in the youth who longs to do its service. It cares apparently nothing for his Hebrew, or his Greek, or even for his stores of information concerning the latest speculations of the greatest German scholars, and even for his earnest spirit which yearns to render Christ-like ministry, it shows an indifference at once inexplicable and crushing. What makes this indifference well-nigh intolerable is that it is the indifference of the Christian world. The pagan world cannot be expected to take an interest in a herald of the Nazarene, but surely the Christian world will reach forth a loving hand and lift him into a place of usefulness and power. Not so. The churches are engrossed each in its own affairs, and have no time to create a sphere in which this Christian orator can exercise his gifts. Most of the churches are already supplied with leaders, and those whose pulpit is without an occupant are either feeble and fainting enterprises struggling for existence in forlorn and obscure places, or they are churches of historic dignity to whose leadership a man fresh from school cannot aspire. What shall the young man do? He cannot dig, and to beg he is ashamed. There does not seem to be anything to do but to begin and live the gospel. To do this is always well, and a man ought to begin to do it before he is entrusted with a church. The division of labor has been carried far and will no doubt be carried farther, but it will never be so extended as to enable one set of Christians to preach the gospel while the other set is left to practice it. If a man expects to move men by his preaching, he must first do a deal of living, and the sooner he begins to live, the better. Where can a man find larger opportunity for the exercise of that faith and hope and love, of that patience, persistency, and courage, of which he intends through all the years to speak, than just in that dark and troubled period which for many men immediately follows the completion of the seminary course? If a man is to hold up Abraham as an example worthy of imitation, why should he shrink from going out not knowing whither he goes? And if he proposes to spend his life in teaching men to believe that the just must walk by faith, why should he not do a little of that sort of walking himself? If he believes in the principle announced by Jesus that everyone who asks receives, why does he not proceed to put that principle to the test? A man who intends to preach the gospel ought to learn early that God is no respecter of persons, and that a student of theology is not allowed to enter the kingdom by a road specially constructed for his own tender feet. Anything like favoritism or coddling is abhorrent to the spirit of the Christian religion. Christ thrusts a cross into a man's face and holds it there. Accursed is every policy which attempts to hide it or take it away. Men who prepare for the ministry ought to have no advantages given them which are denied to their fellows. They should work for their education as hard as do the men who prepare for journalism, or medicine, or law. Every indulgence and plum intended to make the way into ministry more attractive 
then that which leads into the other professions ought to be feared and discarded. If this reduces recruits for the ministry, so much the better for the churches. What can organized Christianity accomplish unless its leaders are stalwart and tough? Men are not going to endure hardness as good soldiers of Christ, when once installed as pastors of churches, unless they have been trained to do this from their youth. No one who is not willing to work like a slave through as many years as may be necessary to fit him for his work, is worthy to stand before the world as an ordained expounder of the message of the Son of God. After a man has secured his schooling, then let him make himself a place in which to work. If all the doors are shut, let him open one. If he cannot do this, he is not needed. No man can open men's hearts for the gospel who is too weak to open a door for himself into the ministry. It is not a diploma which proves a man's right to be a preacher, but a spiritual temper and a moral stamina like unto those of the apostles. Occasionally one catches a whimpering tone in the talk of young men looking for a church. In their judgment they are badly used. The churches do not appreciate the sacrifices these men have made. If some church does not speedily repent and give a call, then these ill-used prophets will shake off the dust of their feet against them and will not preach at all. All such whining proceeds from a heart which is not right. The young physician, in making a place for himself in a world already overcrowded, expects a long-drawn struggle, and he is seldom disappointed. In many cases years of poverty and privation lie between him and the shining goal on which his hungry eyes are set. The average lawyer fights a long and tremendous battle. So do the journalist and professor, the architect and artist the merchant and musician. Every man is left to make for himself his own place in the world, and why should a minister be favored above his brethren? While in the seminary he heard the world calling for him, and in his dreams a noble church stood up, glorious and imploring, and would not let him rest. But now when he is ready the church has melted into air, and in his disappointment he is ready to believe that all things are as vain and empty as the baseless fabric of a dream. Let him remember that his vision was similar to that of the Apostle Paul. The man of Macedonia, who would not let Paul sleep for his constant cry, Come over and help us, was nowhere to be seen when Paul reached the shores of Europe. Paul could not find him at Neapolis, nor even at Philippi. Outside the Philippian gate a few women listened to the first Christian sermon preached in Europe, but the man of Macedonia was conspicuous for his absence. Europe was preoccupied with her business and pleasures, and it was only by the boldest and most persevering exertions that the apostle succeeded in opening a door in any European city. Europe needed the gospel. She did not want it. The world today needs young men equipped to preach the gospel, but it does not want them. Like Saul of Tarsus, they must fight their way into public recognition, assisted by some good Barnabas or Silas, who is always present to lend a helping hand. And instead of railing at a world which is slow to crown them, they must build for themselves the thrones from which they are to judge the tribes of Israel. End of chapter 3